0: determination left yeah. and wanted to think things over. Is this that's how the that meeting ended? Exactly. Okay. And what did your union say about how that went? Uh, curious to to know what their thoughts were there.
1: I think the consensus there was that it went well. I mean the the <clears throat> particularly from the from the person who had been advising me just to come clean and be honest. Um she felt that that was at that moment, the right move. Um, We didn't know at, at that point what was going to be the next course of action, but I'd expressed that I felt better about it, that my head was being held, was held high. And, and they, um, they were, yeah, they were supportive and, and kind of said, okay, now maybe now we, we, we get you back to work. <laughs> maybe now we proceed with the, you know, they, they, we send the termination. We proceed with the accommodation process, and we get you back to work. So now we're <laughs> into the summer. So again, I thought, okay, we're we're almost there.
0: Mm-hmm. So you you think about all this kind of back and forth, and uh, these meetings that you've had, the amount of stress in not knowing what uh, what's going to be presented to you, all the while you're trying to improve yourself and recover from hydromorph. Yeah. So. This is all going on. And um, so you get to, this is towards the end of the summer of 2021. Yep. Okay.
1: And didn't Um, hear, didn't hear for, from them for a little while. mm -hmm. I I can't recall exactly how long, but probably a couple of weeks. Yeah. And then finally got a phone call thinking, okay, here comes the back to work meeting. Mm -hmm. And it was instead uh, we're sending you for a third Independent medical examination.
0: Okay, so <laughs> so just to get this straight here, so <laughs> usually what happens is you you get sent for your initial uh, independent medical assessment, right? Yep. So they they give you a diagnosis of severity, and and usually uh, they'll check off a couple boxes depending on what substances are involved. They send you to treatment. You completed that. They come back. They do another assessment, like a follow up assessment, yep. and say, "Okay, this guy is, uh, or this person has completed the treatment. We believe that they're on the right track, or we believe they're not. Most often, it's you know, as long as you complete the treatment, they tell you to treat to to complete. Then they'll give you the okay to move on from there. So you, in that time, you've been going through all these these investigative meetings, and f- for some reason, your employer is requesting another IME. Did they say they wanted it from a different doctor? Uh, what was the reasoning there?
1: The reasoning was, and I'm, excuse me, I can't speak for my employer, but the reasoning was was that I had now admitted to all of these discrepancies. I'd admitted to, to removing these drugs from the medication machine, taking them at work, being intoxicated at work, but no one saw me do it and no one reported that i was intoxicated. so what was actually in question was is this guy for real or was i admitting and again i'm 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 extrapolating this from from the evidence that i have mm-hmm. was i in fact taking this medication for my own consumption while at work or was i i don't know if they were they were sort of suggesting that maybe i was selling it or that i was doing something else with it because there was no evidence that I was taking
0: it at work. This is something that I would love people to, this is an opportunity to get this point across to people. It's a common misconception that you're going to be able to tell, or you're going to see somebody who's uh, using high doses of morphine or hydro- morph- oxycontin, whatever it is. And you're going to be able to tell because of the, that person's work is deteriorating or whatever. This is not true. It's not, it, this is a fallacy um, many people, uh, actually find it helpful in that they can work longer. They can, uh, you know, it, 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 there's a few benefits to, to using opiates at work. I'm not, I'm not making an advertisement for doing that, but I'm saying that, um, it's a stigma that's well ingrained in our, in our culture to the point that this is actually quite common. If, uh, many times an employer will see somebody who's, who's been on, an opiate for a couple of years. It comes to their attention. They look back at the records and they think this is impossible. Nobody, yeah. nobody could be at work functioning like this if they were taking all these opiates. Yeah, exactly. They, they, and they often come to the conclusion that you must be selling, which is, yeah. I've, I've never seen that.
1: It, 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 it's unfortunate because the first thing that came through my head was <clears throat> I wish that someone had a caught me then. I wish that someone had a, seen me doing something or seen, seen me when I was behaving erratically or doing something that, that, that triggered them to report me. I, I wish for that. At first I thought, I I thought it was a good thing that I wasn't reported in that way, but I think it actually would have made, made my life easier uh, in the, in the months ahead. If I had, a, if they had just said, yep, yeah, you, you know, you were, you were caught red handed, so to speak. Um, but you're absolutely right, Nathan, about that, that, that stigma. The other thing I was going to say is that during the, those months of, of, at the end of, or, you know, at at the active months of addiction for me, because of the state of our, of our country's public health emergency, I had goggles and, and a full mask on all the time. So I I don't think people, I think that was, that was, I was hiding.
0: Yeah. It just, it's weird to me because it's another one of those things where, they keep seeing the same thing over and over again in these departments and they come to the same conclusion. Like at some point, yeah. you would think that there are some learning, right? You see, well, you know what? We've seen 20 nurses go through this year. They all seem to be able to do their job, in fact, quite well, while taking these, usually a Tiger Morph. Yeah. So wouldn't you adjust your your evaluation of the situation at some point? I just... i I don't know what I'm missing in that, uh, that part of the equation.
1: No, it's true. It's true. And I was never accused of that. I was never accused of, of doing anything other than taking it myself. And I admitted to taking it myself. So to go back to our, to the, for a third independent medical examination, I was sent back to the same doctor to have, to start from square one. And and essentially that was what was requested was that a full new examination was completed to and to include conversation about how this could be that i was that I was working and not getting caught by my coworkers
0: was this uh, separate from the letter that they sent because wasn't there a point in where they wanted you to to get get a letter signed or they wanted a, your general practitioner to fill out a form or something like this so so yeah thank you thank you the 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 purpose of the independent medical
1: examination was to complete. A, a two or three page document that had a list of questions from human resources. Those questions were based in the previous independent medical examination and in their investigation, including my confession. Okay. And okay.
0: yeah, can we, uh, can we read a couple of those questions? If, if do you have them there for sure. I, I think I do. Just give me one sec if I can find them <laughs> Yeah. as long as you don't mind. because no, no. so-
1: I hope you read the. Did the right or wrong? Did
0: Corey know right from wrong? That was the real doozy. And I got a lot of IMEs. <laughs> okay. Um, there's one, two, three, four. So I've got, uh, I've got the questionnaire here that was sent to Corey's original IME physician. And I remember when you showed me this letter, I thought it, I didn't think it was real uh, <laughs> I, I didn't understand what was going on. I thought, I thought if they send this to that physician, she's going to think she's dealing with a child, or, or she'll just refuse. Like I, I yeah. can't imagine how how the I couldn't I couldn't, under, I couldn't uh, begin to think how the the doctor would see this. But uh, I'll just go through the questions uh, quickly. So they wanted her to answer: Has this employee been diagnosed with a medical condition? if yes, what is the nature of the employee's medical condition? Rate the severity of the employee's medical condition, mild, moderate, or severe. This is standard stuff that's done on IME and would have been done on your initial IME, correct? Definitely. definitely. Okay. So this is a reiteration of information they already have. Uh, Number four, is there medical evidence to show a clear distinction that a diagnosed medical condition has a causal relationship to each of the following behaviors? So they want to know if your condition of uh, having a substance use disorder is responsible for these following behaviors. That's how I take that.
1: Correct. Correct. Bearing Um, in mind, folks, I had had the independent medical exam that provided that diagnosis months before.
0: Right. Go on. (laughs) So could it be that falsifying doctors verbal orders for narcotics on patient charts uh, falsifying patient r- records and charts and medication administration records with orders for narcotics, please explain falsifying patient records, charts and the medication administration record by charting narcotics as administered where narcotics were already charted as administered by another registered nurse, please explain. So they're wanting the doctor to give them kind of a medical backing, a scientific uh, something that's, that's backed by scientific evidence that these behaviors are part of your disability. Um, yeah. Lying to his coworkers regarding the dosing of patients, not wasting narcotics per the employer's controlled substance policy, taking narcotics from the employer medication system, the Pixis, under patient names where narcotics have already been withdrawn by another nurse and under patient's names where verbal orders for narcotics were falsified, please explain. I mean, these are all, you're not going to see a nurse with a hydromorph problem. I mean, you have to get it somehow. Right. Right. And, and, and most of the time, this is falsifying records or, uh, not fully used vials. I mean, these are common methods. Uh, what's not common is taking medication. That's supposed to be for a patient. You don't, uh, you don't usually, right. I haven't ever seen it actually.
1: And I'll just interject that that these are also very common issues with people's nursing practice who, who do not have an addiction. That's right. Improperly wasting medication that, that if you, if you polled nurses about how often they forgot to waste a medication, you'd find that the vast majority would say that at some point or another, they forgot In, in an emergency department, taking verbal orders from a doctor Uh, On the fly, hey, so and so in bed too is having pain. Can I give him, go give him something? Yeah, give him, give him this. You'll also find that that is a very common thread. So these are, Mm. these are flaws within nursing practice that are common within the emergency setting that are not exclusive to someone with addiction.
0: Yes. Yet if you ask the health authority what the situation is with these. You know kind of holes in the system they will tell you consistently that they've been repaired that there's no way that these things are happening Correct. um all these issues have been dealt with uh it's not possible to get narcotics out of there that's Correct. their that's their stand so continuing on consuming narcotics while on shift please explain <laughs> um Stating in the previous meeting held that he could not recall specific incidents that were presented to him by the employer at the time, and that he did not want to incriminate himself. <laughs> Please explain. I mean, I,
1: wanting a doctor to explain why I said I didn't recall.
0: How on earth would a physician even begin to be able to sign it off on something like that?
1: No physician would do that.
0: Right. Stated he had a mental health injury and opioid use was associated with that injury. I like, I don't even understand how that, how is that a, a symptom of a disability? Right. The guy, do you, what do you think the guy, are they suggesting that you had another mental illness, like uh, maybe well, schizophrenia or. Like, well, yeah. Uh,
1: good, good, good question. And we'll, we'll come, that question will come back up for me. And when I tell about my, about that IME uh,
0: specifically. So. Okay. And then the last one is based, <laughs> based on your assessment, did Corey have the cognitive ability to determine and understand between right and wrong when deciding to engage in the above behaviors? If yes, which behaviors? And they want them uh, specified uh, from the, the, the previous list as to which behaviors you had the cognitive ability to understand whether they were right or wrong. Now this is either incredibly ignorant, or just uh, it, I, I I don't understand uh, what they want the what they were hoping to get out of this. I guess is the the hardest thing to to, to so grasp. It leaves,
1: it leaves me with with either thinking there is a fundamental lack of understanding of addiction, <clears throat> or that they were trying to prove that there was no addiction
0: right they were suspicious because you were not just uh you're okay at work you were actually excelling um you know you're you're working extra shifts people are sending you thank you cards all this kind of stuff and they're so baffled by this that they're starting to doubt maybe the the diagnosis i think so right i think so
1: and again it's there was no transparency there but that's the best i can kind of
0: kind of come up with so and what possible motivation would somebody have to pretend to have an opioid disorder
1: yeah thank you I mean the and again that's why that led me to to think that they were they were suggesting that I was up to something else but yeah, again it, at you know back going back now 10 months prior I had seen this doctor who I had very truthfully explained my addiction to, who confirmed that I had an opioid use disorder and, and signed off on that. And that was what put me through a treatment program. That was what sent me to your group and and put me on that path.
0: Did they do any testing at your, your first IME? Did they do a hair test? Anything that would indicate that you still had in your system? Uh, Only, only a blood and urine. Okay, but they showed up in a blood and urine? No. Okay. But oh, that right. was
1: because that was because I had, um, it was uh, six or seven weeks before, from the time I went off work, from the, sorry, from the time I last used hydromorphone to to the IME. So it did clear yeah. my system.
0: Yeah, I just, uh, that would have been e- an easy one to, you know, yeah. uh, it's right here, guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but
1: yeah.
0: uh, anyway, okay. So the, so, so the
1: interesting thing was that when I, the, the thing that we mentioned in episode, in our first episode on me, haven't mentioned yet in this episode was that simultaneously as that first IME was happening, I was also seen by a psychologist that was dying, that, that was provided to me through WorkSafe, who provided the um, psychological diagnoses of an adjustment disorder, which is a, which is in the family of PTSD and then an opioid use disorder as a means of coping with the adjustment disorder. Okay. So stress and depression, stress and anxiety, which was the manifestation of the adjustment disorder and the opioid use disorder, which was then the further manifestation of that. This was written. This was written by the psychologist.
0: This is a went, psychologist that Worksafe employed. Correct. Okay.
1: So this was, and, and again, a, a, a rational person would think that, that those documents, the IME and the, the document from WorkSafe, that those were, would be sort of passed between these, these different bodies, or at least between the different doctors. So when I went back for that third IME with that humiliating, demeaning questionnaire, I had said, well, I also have a, a document from WorkSafe, from the, from the, sorry, from the psychologist that confirms that I had this psychological diagnosis and that he felt that my opioid use disorder was a, a, a means of coping with depression and anxiety at work. I've never seen such a document. I, I don't have that document. That document was never provided to me. This says the doctor. And I, and I believe that to be true, that she was never provided with that. But shouldn't in the interest of, of collecting the full story, <clears throat> shouldn't that psychological assessment have been provided?
0: Of course. Yeah, yeah I mean that, this is so I, it's common unfortunately right now in our medical system across the board. I mean, there's very little communication. There's, you know, the silo effect where um it, it's it, I see it often as a pharmacist, but uh yeah, I mean probably if we could get, you know, if we could improve that one sector, just make those communications happen a little bit better, we would save Who knows? 5% on our total budget. Yeah. You know? So,
1: so this document, this, this report from the psychologist was sort of the link between the, the psychological injury, the wound and the, and the, the coping strategy, the behavior. And they didn't have it. Now I knew that they weren't, or had a hunch at least that they weren't going to have it. So I had a copy of it on my phone and was told that I could not provide that myself. That would have had to come from the employer and the employer wasn't going to provide that to her.
0: Did they give you a reason why?
1: Well, you as a as a patient in an independent medical examination, you're not allowed to provide the documents yourself. They would have to, because I guess in theory they would say that you, that I could have you know could have tampered with that or could have done it myself. So they said it would have had to have come from someone else.
0: Okay, the the idea being that as an independent assessment, they don't want anything else from the outside influencing the results. Correct. Okay. Yet here is this
1: this demeaning questionnaire sitting on the desk between us
0: it's about as uh those questions are about as pointed as you can get yeah yeah okay well that doesn't make any sense at all but we'll uh, (laughs) (laughs) we'll continue because yeah yeah.
1: so the so the so we got through the independent medical examination and 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 i because at this point i i felt further that i had, had little to lose i questioned the doctor on on this questionnaire and said, I find this the, the right or wrong question. You know, did Corey know right or wrong? I find that to be insulting. And the doctor said, yeah, of course you do. You know, how, how could you not find that to be insulting? Um, and that kind of validated that.
0: The doctor said like, what was the doctor's reaction when, uh, when she received that questionnaire?
1: Okay. She was quite guarded with me about that, but okay. had, had said that she, thought it was unusual and that that the the question of right or wrong you know again it, she from what i could kind of get from her she expressed that that was a reflective of a lack of understanding
0: right okay yeah which is a par for the course i mean yeah you yes. would if you knew anything about this condition if and you read a letter like that um I, I just I, I would love to know the initial impression and what she was thinking, but we can only imagine I guess
1: Yeah, that's right. So I got through that, got through that independent medical examination, but by the way, I mean that was uh, another that was two to three hours yeah it, it, and because she said, you know I won't complete this this single document without kind of doing my full my full assessment to give and I, I think she was doing that to try to give me um a bit of the benefit that that it would be unfair to to complete this questionnaire without having a conversation with me
0: well it's also kind of they're they're short they're on the one hand saying that they're they don't believe her original statement like they're calling into question the authenticity of the original documents yeah and then trying to shorten her process that she gets paid you know, whatever it is, fifteen hundred dollars, I think, for that the three hour one. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, as a healthcare professional, you know, that's not a precedent that you want to set. All of a sudden, you're getting all these people showing up with a little checkbox. Yeah. Is my employee? Uh, does my employee know right from wrong? <laughs> you know, like this yeah. is, it's not the way it's done. And uh, I'm sure that she wanted to collect her full fee there. And why would she? I mean, ultimately she's, she's there to provide a service. Right. And yeah, if she uses her time wisely, she's got a better chance of uncovering more information that could be pertinent to your condition. Yeah, for sure. So you get that last one done. Was your, okay. So you get your third IME completed. Yeah. Your employer, I guess at some point receives this IME and then what happens? And I was called in for, <clears throat>
1: for a third meeting, the true okay. conclusion meeting.
0: So this is another investigative meeting. Is that what they,
1: they, they didn't say what it was going to be, okay. but they just said it was the, they just called it the conclusion. So at this point, I didn't think there would be any, in, any more investigating to do. And, mm. and I was correct. Um, it turned out to be a very short meeting and I was provided with a, a letter of expectation and told that I had to complete, um, A review of the policies and procedures for the organization, for policies and procedures regarding medication administration, regarding conduct at work, that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, sign off
1: that I had reviewed.
0: It's a great thing to uh, to bring, or a great point to bring up, or an opportunity to talk about how this is another example of how this disease is. On the one hand, being called a disease, and then here's another punitive action. Um, yeah, we it, and it's the same thing that happens. You'll see uh, in in criminal cases with healthcare professionals. One of uh, often one of the clauses for you know as part of their rehabilitation or back to work will be to review an ethics course. Sometimes, yes, these things are. Do you think that there is even one person who? has benefit benefited realistically from this process.
1: No, no. And I, I think it 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 was revealing to the fact that that it was about liability. Yes. It was all about liability. Yeah. And all about and I and I I don't I don't blame them for that. I, I realized mm-hmm. what a liability I was. I in hindsight I certainly realized what a liability I was. mm mm-hmm. And, and that is that is a driver a huge driver for so much of the of those moments that we've outlined so far that that it came back to liability and these, yeah. this is this is a business
0: yeah and like i said it's it's like a hot potato they don't uh, if they can get away with not taking that liability and pass it on to another authority they will do it and yeah. it's one of the reasons why this whole thing takes so long is because often they'll be Uh, a game of catch back and forth until somebody's like, okay, I guess I have to take responsibility for this part. And then they, and and these measures are like the, the ethics or reviewing the policies Uh, it's a waste of everybody's time. It doesn't help you with your, you there at no time were you confused about whether what you were doing (laughs) was against or, or a normal procedure. You know, of course. It, it, yeah. So, yeah, an interesting way to finish it off. So they say you got to review the manual, the policy manual, and and that's is that where they left it?
1: Yeah, that was it. And then knowing that the next part of that would be the accommodation process and getting back to work. Okay. Again, at the same time, was the, this process with, with the with the college was happening? Where they now had um, all of the results of these various investigation meetings, and they had my confession, so to speak, and they had formalized that into a, into a set of restrictions and a letter of you know uh, a letter of another letter of expectation and restriction, so to speak. So, so that was happening at the same time.
0: Okay, so now that the college has been brought up to speed and this is something they'll commonly do in these situations is they'll put together a uh, return to practice agreement that often involves some sort of a monitoring contract uh, along with uh, several sets of different restrictions, usually to do with handling narcotics or working alone where narcotics might be present. In other words, you'll be going back to work It'll be under a contract that 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 is set up so that you are saying for sure that you'll continue with your your treatment throughout the term of the contract. So three more of them are five years now, yep. but usually three to five years, and that you will abide by these limits and restrictions that are on your license uh, will be on your license for the term of that RPA. Yeah, and uh, so. So uh, the college presented you with a a list of restrictions, I guess.
1: Yeah, and it was very much like the restrictions that were laid out by the by the addiction specialist. There were no there were no surprises in that. Um, I knew the fact that that, and I again, I think this is something that people oftentimes don't know when they start in this process that that all of the conditions of the the agreement aren't considered to have commenced until you return to work. So by this time I was I had been off work for over a year. I had been doing over a year of of a monitoring program of doing, you know, urine urine testing bi biweekly urine testing and locking all of my meetings that I was going to and and that that didn't count. That didn't count towards my monitoring agreement. Which I know for a lot of people starting out that's devastating news because because it, it prolongs the process and it kind of tells you, um, there's kind of a psychological piece to it that tells you that all of this work that you've done is for naught unless you are back working.
0: Yeah. And there's, there's many of those throughout the entire process, including totally. uh, it, within the the actual treatment program that you're, you go to, whether it's inpatient or outpatient. The other thing that that happens more often than, than not is there'll be a discrepancy between whether or not they want you to be working with narcotics right away, or if they want you in an area where you're not exposed to narcotics. And then there'll be clauses on top of that, where if you you might have to start out working where there's no access to narcotics, but your term only starts once you've made it to a point where the restriction can be lifted so that you can be in an area where narcotics are accessible. So now your five year is turning into a six. And then with all the extra stuff they add on there, before you know it, you've got, uh, and this is, I mean, these contracts usually cost like a really, really inexpensive contract would be about $600 a month that you're, that either you're, depending on your profession, either you're paying or your insurance company's paying. And the, on the higher end of that, if you're, if you've got a sober link involved, they can be well over a thousand. Yeah. So that's extra money that's being pumped into um, this machine system. And uh, there's conflicts of interest that exist within the system involving where that money goes. But that's another story. Yeah. So basically, they got you to the point where you're cleared to begin searching for jobs that are going to fit with the parameters they've laid out for you in your return to work agreement.
1: That's right. And, and again, the return to work agreement, though, the, it, it doesn't, it, it outlines the don'ts, but there is still, <clears throat> there's still room for interpretation there. And, mm-hmm. and as, as we will, we will learn here in this next, uh, next part of my story that, that, you know, like you said, n- you know, Corey's is not to be working and dispensing narcotics. F- fair enough. Corey's not to be, um, they recognize the fact that I was, you know, not to work in an emergency or in a critical care area. Also fair enough, but there's, those are black and white, but there are statements within the agreement that are much more gray. So when I finally, you know, this is coming back now, now we're up to um, three, two, two and a half months ago that in those meetings, that's what, that's what the, this other, branch of of human resources the disability management branch that's what they have in front of them that is what is guiding um their i won't say guiding their decision because i don't i don't know what's guiding their decision fully but but (laughs) that is what they are using as justification for some of their their decisions
0: i'll say okay uh you mean the decisions regarding which jobs would be suitable for you that's right okay
1: that's right you know, so so first of all, you're you are told in an accommodation meeting that you're allowed to look at the list of vacant jobs, and you're allowed to list look at the list of filled jobs, and make two lists based on those. And we're talking about um, as it stands right now because of the nature of nursing and and the nature of in our at least in our in our province and in our country, the mass shortage of nurses. This is a really long list. Like this is. This is, uh, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens, probably if I went back and I'd have to check, but hundreds of pages of of vacancies, of vacancies, and then jobs that I could potentially bump into. Right. And so made my, made my initial list. Um, and the things that I put at the top were, you know, through this, through this process. I've become particularly interested in, in the, uh, the vulnerable populations of our society in outreach work, in, in, you know, meeting, meeting populations of folks with, with addiction or folks that are experiencing homelessness. Um, and there are, there, there are new resources. There are new jobs out there it, because there is, there is some funding in those areas. So there are some newer positions out there available within, within where I live Um, So those really intrigued me because I would be um, partly working at a desk and in sort of a case management administrative type of detail, and also partly going in and checking on people and helping people access care who wouldn't normally access it or be able to.
0: Right. And I remember there was one job in particular a little while ago that you had found uh, that you were very interested in and you thought it would be. I mean, it it wasn't just that your contract stated you shouldn't be working in acute care. You yourself didn't want to put yourself back in that position. I mean, you could no. see that that's that wasn't the place for you. You wanted to to set yourself up so that you you know had a nice buffer between you and and uh, any you know substances or or extreme stress uh, and trauma and stuff like that uh, that you were experiencing before in your position. So you wanted to get away from that. And you, like you said, you wanted to move into this area where you were just starting to, uh, learn about and, and get interested in. So you were, you, I remember you saying that you were interested in a job like that. And then, um, what happened when you like, what do you, how do you have to, to apply for these positions?
1: You, you put in, <clears throat> you order your list based on the, the one that you desire most and then, you know, I, I think I had made eight or nine choices and and they go through that list. And with that outreach job, my union was supportive of that for me. Um, and initially the person from from human resources said that they were supportive of that for me. Worksafe was supportive of that for me. In fact, I'd already started to do some some prep work with WorkSafe, some exposure work, some going into or close to some encampments um, in my area and just to see how that would feel. Mm-hmm. And so I was really getting ready right? Um, and and told that that should be, should be a goal. Um, it was then at that point that human resources felt that there was some, I, I sorry, I want to just go back a second. The, the manager of this position thought what apparently said, you know, this guy's interested, this guy's, passionate about it and has some experience, love it. We'll take him. Mm -hmm. So it sounded like all systems were go. The person from human resources decided that they wanted verification from the college. If this was within or without of my restrictions. And, and so we had to wait for that. Right. And then found out from the college that they were not comfortable. They did. They felt that I shouldn't be working with, a vulnerable population where there was potentially drugs and where I would potentially have to provide naloxone treatment. The thing that's, well, there's a few things interesting about that is that a anyone can provide naloxone anywhere. Any person can, the the training for that is rudimentary and, and can be easily given to anybody. And the second thing was, I know that in the IME report, from my addiction specialist that she had explained why healthcare providers so often do not and will not turn to street drugs and that, that statistically it's very, very unusual for a healthcare worker to go towards street drugs because of their, their medical training, because of their awareness of risk Mm -hmm. and of, of safety issues of hygiene issues And that was certainly the case for me that, and we've talked about that, that that while I was using hydromorphone, this was at the rise or well past the rise of fentanyl. I knew how high risk that would be, that that would have killed me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've only ever seen it once in a healthcare professional where they, uh, they made the choice to do that. And uh, it's, it's, it's really uncommon. Uh, it, It was the same thing with me. I you know I sat there and and I, I I tackled that problem head on and and spent some time you know is it is it even a possibility for me and the answer was no and I mean that's yeah. in a state of withdrawal so you know again there's a demonstration of control that uh, I, a person shouldn't have right
1: right um, and and so the so the the document from the independent medical exam was being used to was being interpreted in several instances here. And it was interpreted in a way to say, well, he, he wouldn't be safe to, to use uh, naloxone. He wouldn't be safe because he could potentially um, relapse. And the, the terminology that was used was uh, impulsive relapse. But I know in the document, and th- there was an explanation that said why I wouldn't have done that. And that was disregarded. That was not included in the, any any decision-making.
0: Even though the basis for that legal document is the addiction physician who does the who does the independent medical exam, correct. So they're they're using her diagnosis and information to make those uh, limits on the on your license, and then kind of manipulating that when they see I, fit. I, yeah, and I, I that one was particularly odd, uh, just because I've never seen. At what point then would you find a position where you wouldn't be able to access drugs if that was the case? I mean, every time you go outside, you're in danger. You know, where would they draw the line? Or do you have to work in a cubicle that's uh, uh, guarded? (laughs) (laughs) On my
1: monitoring agreement, it states that I am to abstain from alcohol. In our province now, most grocery stores, or at least half of the grocery stores in my area, you can buy wine at the grocery store, mm-hmm. so my it was not included in the document that that I am not to shop at grocery store A or B,
0: right? Uh, because if they were going to continue down this path of uh, with the disease model, uh, that would mean that you're a powerless automaton, and every <laughs> time you you ran into a substance, it wouldn't even matter what it was; you would have to take it because you have no control. Old right? Sigma
1: rears its head again, and yeah. and in our last two. Our last three episodes here, we have met impassioned people who are connected to that community, connected to that type of work, and who are making a difference in reaching people. Yeah. And I'm not, saying, I'm not saying I am Corey Ranger or Kenan Ross or Garth Mullins, but they eliminated the opportunity for, for that to be even a, a chance to have someone who was passionate about that kind of work.
0: When I heard that uh, that you were going after a position like that, I thought it was brilliant. I was like, "This is," I mean, I can see you doing a, a lot of different jobs. You're obviously a very capable human being, and uh, you know, there's there's going to be a lot of opportunities. But when you said that you were going to be working with a vulnerable population, after the experiences you've had, you know, it, it it sounded like, in in many ways, it sounded like the perfect position for you to. You know, if you were gonna get back in the saddle, I would have. That would have been one I would have chose. You yeah. know, if if I had any say in it. And then uh, to have and, it rejected is a, a disappointing and baffling at the same time.
1: It was, it was crushing. It was crushing for me, and and particularly when the the manager of this position had said we will do we will make modifications to ensure that Corey is with a buddy, that Corey is not going into these scenarios alone, that Corey is safe.
0: Yeah, because Corey they has, can they can see what you are. For
1: sure. Right. Like,
0: for sure. I mean yeah. and those
1: were and those that that reassurance was was also disregarded. Right. So again the, the balloon that was deflating <laughs> is now really flat now.
0: <laughs> yeah. So this is Uh, That was, when did they say no on that? That was. uh, That was my birthday present. Right. Okay. (laughs) (laughs)
1: They they, they said no on my birthday, which was, which was uh, St. Patrick's day, March
0: 17th. Yeah. So um, not that long ago.
1: No. So, so, okay. Back to square one. Now we're now come, come forward, Corey, with another list, redo your list of, of possible jobs so i renew i redid that list of of job interests based on the vacancies based on an updated list of vacancies and based on updated um, bumping options and resubmitted that and this time i i thought i i don't care i'll just pick some safe what i saw as some safe options some some kind of mundane albeit good good choices but um, i really tried to bear in mind no acute care no critical care not working with vulnerable populations, um, you know, working in, in clinical set in clinic settings. And at that point I was not told that, that those were, would be a problem. So I, I waited and then ended up hearing back. I got a, got a phone call and this brings us up to, uh, last week, got a phone call saying, uh, a job had been found for me we have good news. We're going to make you an offer. And so I thought that this would probably be something off of the, off of the list of of vacant jobs that I had put down as, as uh, points of interest. And it was not the job offer was 50 kilometers away. It was full-time. Now I I have not worked full-time in five or six years. Since I, if you know, if going back to the point where I was off work, I think it had been probably about five years since I'd worked a full time job. I usually worked about between 60 and 70% full time.
0: Was there no graduated uh, return to work clause? There was going to be a a,
1: a graduated return to work based on work safe. So it was going to be a six to eight week gradual return process,
0: which is ridiculous. Yeah.
1: So I was told that to the best of their ability, this is what they found for me. Uh, they read to me a list of why, <clears throat> why the, the jobs that I'd put down at, this is after I've already been made the offer, by the way, why these other jobs are not, not feasible options. Um, and they had reason to exclude each one uh, reasons that I don't, I don't didn't agree with, but they were, that was their justification that um, it came down to, experience in certain areas or what they perceived as lack of experience in certain areas. Now, having been an emerge nurse for, um, you know, for 10 years, I have seen every population of humanity virtually. I mean, I have <clears throat> seen every age of person. I've seen every type of, of um, sort of subset of, of humanity. That doesn't mean I'm an expert on that, that at all, but to say that I'm inexperienced with working with children or working with babies or working with people with, with developmental disability or working um, in the setting of diabetes management. That's
0: absurd. In this job market and with their legal requirement to accommodate you, that means they have a duty to accommodate you within with a reasonable position that some sort of a facsimile of what you are doing uses the skills that you have and is suitable for your limits and conditions. Yeah. And they're saying that that is not possible, that they can't find a spot like that for you other than this uh, job. That's going to be an hour commute to work hour commute back uh, full time, which is, I mean, there's reasons why that doesn't work with, uh, with your uh, uh, family situation. Yep. Um, so do you feel that, um, do you feel that they, were they they made a a legitimate attempt to accommodate you?
1: I don't, you know, and and the 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 offer that was made to me for this job was, um, essentially a a computer job, a computer and telephone job where I'd be, um, following up with people, screening people for for risk over the phone, uh, or via email, and then <clears throat> funneling them into a particular particular system. I was given. Um, initially 24 hours to, to decide if that was the job I would be willing to take. And I was told that if I chose that, it was not the job for me that they, my employer had then fulfilled their duty to accommodate and that I would be considered resigned.
0: Why did they put a 20? Did they tell you why there was a 24 hour?
1: Apparently that's standard. Now, my, Mm -hmm. the labor relations officer that was assigned to me for my union was not available. Uh, within that 24 hour period. So one 24 hour extension was granted. So I will say that I had 48 hours to make this, make this decision on whether or not I would accept this job, um, working an hour away from home when, again, on this list of, of options that I had, there were jobs within my community or within, within a 10 to 15 minute drive.
0: I can't imagine that there wouldn't be.
1: No, of course. Right. So That was my decision Um, knowing that any, I, I was told, I was reassured that while Corey, once you finish your gradual return to work process, um, which is again, six to eight weeks, you can apply for anything else, but because I'm on a monitoring program, I am followed by disability management. I am going, any decision I make, any move I make goes through that same desk goes through that that my file passes through the same desk and then they are able to then say is does this fit within the restrictions um do we do we let this guy transfer to a different job or not um it would be the exact same
0: people so given the way they would behaved up to this point it would be easy to suspect that once you took this job you weren't going anywhere
1: right right and given that the list of that, my, that my, the list of, of possibilities for me was had already been narrowed <clears throat> by the initial IME and then was narrowed further, significantly further by the interpretation uh, by human resources about, well, you don't have experience for this, you don't have experience for this, you can't do this job, you'd have to be trained further for this job.
0: I don't so, know. I don't know how they have the um, authority to to think they can make those types of calls. These are a lot of these calls are based on your medical condition. What business do they have? I don't. I don't understand how they have even the credentials to do that.
1: And this is this is what I've encountered so many times within that process. Is that there is a liberty taken to interpret at certain times and there is a rigidity to not deviate from interpretation at other times. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and, and and how those times are selected is at the will and whim of the individual on the other side, for sure. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, but uh, you had 48 hours and how did you, how did that play out?
1: So my decision was ultimately, I I met with several people from, from my union. Um, Interestingly, my, this, job offer came in when my uh, loudest and most consistent advocate from the union was away on vacation. Hmm. A little suspicious. And so uh, met with, met with the people that I could meet with. And these were people who had supported me along in the process. And, 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 and I'd had, you know, going back to the summertime when I'd had those investigation meetings, they had advised me in, in those meetings. So the, the message was still hang in there, Corey, hang in there. We can, we can grieve it work now, grieve later. We'll find you a job. We'll find you something closer to home. We can make this work. And, and that was it. And I, in, in the course of those discussions, I, I pressed the issue to seek, seek evidence for how I was, or was not absolutely painted into a corner at that point. And was able to, to, to have some acknowledgement that I really was.
0: Mm. You said one of the senior, uh, one of the more
1: senior, yeah, said, yeah. you know what? I think you are stuck here. I think this is, this could be checkmate. Right. We can still, we can still work this out. We can still grieve it if that's what you want to do, but I see how you are stuck. Mm-hmm. And that was it. That was enough for me to say, I resign. And so after, um, Thirteen years as a nurse i I resigned my position
0: yeah and another fantastic uh caregiver bites the dust folks um, that's right and now what you know looking back over the the way things went here you you had opportunities where you could have been the you know you could have been the person who dug their their heels in and fought every step of the way and you probably would have won um but you're you know you're you took this this thing that happened to you and you chose to take it on in a way that was going to make it something that made you grow as a person in a positive way strengthened you uh brought you more resilience and uh, and basically got you out of the, the darkness that you were in. And, uh, unfortunately that led to a diminished list of options work-wise. And I mean, honestly, I, when I see many nurses choose to go back to work, many of them relapse, some don't, I, I don't know what would have happened with you. I mean, you've been, I. I, I, you just, you can never know. I mean, if, if you got into the wrong situation and uh, uh, maybe you're pushing it too hard and trauma and something happened, it just, it's impossible to know, but I, I would be worried. I can, I can, I can tell you that. And it, it begs the question, you know, is it worth it really? And uh, I think your, your decision there when you're, you know, basically left with, with nothing, you would have had to sacrifice your time with your son. You would have had to sacrifice your, you know, I mean, an hour commute both ways to a job that you hate. I mean, why, really? Why?
1: Right, and the angst would would build and build. And we know that angst and and cognitive dissonance and moral distress are all contributing factors. And and uh, <clears throat> so the decision suddenly became very clear. But you know, as it's been fascinating for me as I've gone through. Th- this whole process with being off work and going through the machine and then doing this podcast with you and talking to people who have been through it and talking about, uh, potential outcomes and, and every facet of it, every facet of it that we have unearthed here, uh, to realize, for, you know, that what was happening to me, what was happening to my outlook, to my thinking about that career, about my job, And, and coming to this conclusion, this is not the conclusion that I, that I hoped to come to, but I, at the end of the day, I, and we have to do what, what is, what is best for our, ourselves and, and the rest will kind of, kind of follow, I think.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's making decisions like the one you've just made is uh, you're choosing the hard path. In, in you're you're choosing to recognize that if you were to take what was given to you there and start down that road again, all you're doing is in reinitiating the very same process that led you to where you got in the first place. You know, starting to chip away at your fundamental values, starting to give up things that you care about more for this position that you know it means very little to you and and it begins right and and instead of doing that you recognize the danger and that there's things more important than life than than you know sacrificing those those values and it's i mean i love to see it for, for a whole bunch of different reasons and it just the the way you handled the whole thing i mean it's you could uh, you could be a, a you should, you could have a course or something for people to <laughs> to go through, uh, in this situation. And I, have never seen, uh, the po- politics of it handled better. And, uh, it was just, uh, watching you go through it. You, you, you know, you, you struggled, but you always maintained, uh, an attitude that you were going to find a way that made the most sense to you and, and, was better long-term, which is exactly what you're trying to do. You're trying to get out of that, the head, the, the mindset that you're stuck in before. And, um, if that doesn't work out for you, then I'll be very, very surprised
1: yeah, no, no, thank you nathan i really I appreciate that, and I think there's been so so much of of this process that has bolstered me along the way, and we started this podcast quite late in in my journey so far like i there were many 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 months of of the process where I didn't have this this outlet or this resource uh but the thing that I come back to, and I, I was just thinking about our episode with Ken and Ross about how the healing is in spite of the machine, mm-hmm. the, the healing that we do in our, in our, in our recovery is not because of, you might luck out and you might get a, a, a physician or you might learn something in treatment that really works for you. or You might meet some, some great people, but for the most part. It's all, all of the work that we do to heal ourselves is in spite of it. And in fact, the, the challenges that, that pile up on us, that's where the, the resilience comes from. I think that's sort of the, the unintentional benefit of the machine is that you're building resilience in the shit that you have to slog through.
0: Well, yeah, that's one way of looking at it. Uh, I sure would like to see less shit myself.
1: Well, yeah, and, and that's—I'm—I'm I'm not trying to to sugarcoat it or make a silver lining because it's not. But mm. but that is where the resilience comes from. Is like, okay, now I've got a how do I how do I keep fighting this? How do I keep my mental strength up? How mm-hmm. do I how do I not go back to negative thinking? And sometimes I do. Sometimes we do, and that's okay too and natural. Yeah. But but the, the healing that is, that I have done, the work that I have done has been in spite of it all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, you, if you didn't know better, you would suspect that they were actually trying to slow you down or get you to relapse. Yeah. You know what I mean, like it, it's, it's, it's not that it's just not helping. It is actually putting, more stress and and just burden on on a person who's already in a very compromised position so um yeah kudos to you for making it through and uh and dealing with these difficult decisions including this last one and i'm i'm uh i'm curious to see and uh, excited to see what your future holds well, th-
1: thank you. The, the, the other thing I was going to say was all of that to a very, very expensive tune for the, to, or to the general public, like a, the, the, the tax dollars that went towards this yeah, went towards all of these cases. And part of it is covered by union dues and by, by insurance policies and stuff like that. But there's a huge expense to the, to the public through this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're talking about, uh, Twenty to forty thousand per treatment cycle per person who goes through, and then all these extras that are being paid for by insurance companies, or you're paying out of pocket. Very expensive, and uh, wouldn't it and be all- wouldn't it be amazing if uh, you could you know implement something that actually was helpful? That yeah. would be that would be amazing.
1: And all of that time that I was off work, my position was had to be filled by someone else and their position then had to be filled probably by someone on overtime, Mm. probably by a a travel nurse who is a very expensive person to have on board. And it, it, it just, it doesn't make sense anymore.
0: No, it really doesn't. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for laying that all out there, man. That's, that's a ton of, uh, uh, information for people and lots of good stuff in there. I think if I was in a similar position early on and I heard something like this I'd be very interested in in you know taking some of this stuff to heart and and making some notes almost to to know a little better what I was dealing with you know
1: Yeah it it's it's certainly discouraging on the surface, my stories <laughs> may sound discouraging to some. I'm aware of that, but but uh, I hope there are some some lessons that can at least help with a, a sense of preparedness and a sense of personal empowerment as you go into different steps within this process. And then the to to have the the knowledge that you do have at the end of the day, you can you can make the decision to to get out of it.
0: Yeah, that's an important one. People, and I know it's, it's hard. I mean, you, we get into these uh, as a healthcare professional, it becomes part of your identity becomes, um, what you're in a job, you most, you know, it's hard to switch jobs as, as it is. People tend to rally against change that way. Um, and making the decision to completely change careers. I don't know if that's what you're going to do or not. I still see you somewhere in, in, in healthcare myself, but, uh, you know, who knows, um, these are not easy things to do and, uh, but you're absolutely right that we have to remember that it's an option because sometimes man, when you're, when you're deep in it and you're getting locked into these processes and, uh, it can feel like it's the only way out is to go through the, the machine. And that's not true. Nope. You can nope. leave when, you know, it's up to you. It's just a job, right?
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: So, Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for uh, bringing us up to date. Um, it's going to be a few people are interested to hear this and uh, yeah, I think we can call that uh, a wrap.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks to our, our listeners for, for uh, bearing with us on this journey. I know this was a long one. Um, also thanks to our, our recent uh, patrons, uh, new members of the Patreon account, much, much, much appreciated. We're yeah. grateful for your support
0: that's amazing. We're tremendously thankful for that. Um, and yeah, thanks for everybody, um, continuing to support us. We, uh, we appreciate that greatly. If you are going to check out the videos on YouTube, make sure to like them if you like them and, uh, go ahead and subscribe if you uh, want to see more because it helps us on there. And we want to be able to push the message out to as many as people who need it as possible. So absolutely. That would be great. And, uh, yeah, I think we'd leave it there and call it an episode. Absolutely. Thanks, Nathan. All right, Corey. See you you soon,
1: everyone.